Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where you're all about going beyond curriculum, beyond programs, beyond best practices, to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots, and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ, who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes. I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. And I'm Steve Manskar, Director of Wesleyan Leadership at Discipleship Ministries. Well, Steve, we hear them called by various names, cell groups, life groups, D groups, or discipleship groups, small groups, covenant groups, affinity groups, impact groups. They go by all sorts of names, and whatever name you want to call them by, the fact is Methodist churches are asked, if not required, to give an account, a reporting of their small group ministry. But this begs a question. It's a question I've heard bannered around. It's a question I will confess I've even asked the district superintendent to answer. What's a small group? What counts as a small group? What elements must be be there for a small group to be healthy? And so that's what we're going to explore in today's podcast. Yeah, so what I think another thing that we need to, that we're going to talk about is what we mean by small group because we're, we're doing okay. this series of podcasts, and I think it's it's helpful for us to be clear with our audience what True. when we say use that phrase small groups, which gets batted around in the church today a lot. Oh yeah, um, what do we mean by that? Because you know, in my experience in the the many years I've been here at Discipleship Ministries and traveling all across the country and even to other parts of the world, that there are, when I, when I say small groups, I know what I mean, right? but others hear something entirely different. Yeah. Um, for example, you know, a, 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 I was once a pastor of a, a very large, you know, several thousand member congregation said he had small groups, and so I asked him, well, tell, tell me about the small groups, and I learned that what he regarded as a small group is anywhere between 50 and 100 people. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, that's... Now, in a church of, <laughs> you know, five, six, seven thousand 7,000 people, it's 50 to 100 smaller. is relatively <laughs> a small group. It is smaller than the typical gathering in such a congregation, but it's not what we're talking about here, right. because you... One of the main elements of small groups that we're talking about, particularly in the Wesleyan tradition, is that it needs to be a place where you can form relationships right. of some depth right. and intimacy and trust with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And that would be difficult to do in a group of even 20 people. Sure. Um, so that's why you know we're going to talk... You know, more about the size, what, what we think is the ideal size of a group. Yep. You, know, uh, you know, I do a lot of work with covenant discipleship groups, and if you're familiar, many of people listening to this probably have experience with covenant discipleship Hopefully. groups. And one of the things that we say in all the resources and all I do in my workshops is that a group shouldn't be, a covenant discipleship group shouldn't be any more than seven people. Right. Um, and there's good reasons for that. We're not going to get into that right now, but sure, yeah, we'll get um, there. But for the for the goal, the mission of covenant discipleship, you shouldn't have more than seven people. Yeah. So that's the kind of groups that we're talking about here. That's right. So some of the research that I've done is sort of look at what are people saying are the core elements that are needed for a healthy 
small group? What would a, every, what does every small group need to have? So I'm going to list some of those. I'll try and find a place. Maybe I'll put this on a blog or something where people can see it. Because I'm going to run through this a little quickly. Uh, Gareth Eisnogel, in his book, Biblical Foundations for a Small Group, which we would recommend, uh, he lists these four items. Ministry to God. Ministry to one another. Ministry to others outside the group and ministry to God's creation. So those are the elements he sees that are needed. Eric Geiger and some of his work out of, out of Lifeway and a big project they did looking at discipleship and what makes discipleship happen within small groups, he lists these as the primary purposes of a small group. says that there needs to be formation, which he defines as teaching and study. Then another element is connection, which is connecting believers in a biblical community. And then mission, serving on mission together should happen as a group. Uh, Chris Surratt, in his book, Small Groups for the Rest of Us, he lists these three items that should happen in a small group. Discipleship, community, and evangelism. And lastly is M. Scott Boren, and he lists these, what he calls, three rhythms of a small group that they should have. Communion with God, relating to others, and engage our world. And I think all those um, are helpful to to think about and to uh, look at as we assess small groups in our church. Are these things happening within the group to, to really assess and evaluate? Are they doing what we would hope they would do? With that, I, I'm, I'm going to turn it over to Jackie King, who had the opportunity to interview the other day. Jackie um, is part of our team here and over Vital Signs, so I figured she would be extremely helpful in helping us to explore the question, what is a small group? Jackie, thank you for being willing to, to talk with us. Uh, my question has to do with the definition of a small group. Having been a pastor at a church, being around a number of pastors in the district, and pastors would sort of complain and grumble about the vital signs and having to do them, but also would sort of question, well, what exactly is a small group? And they sort of joke sometimes to, you know, kind of get on my nerves a little bit about what, what a small group was. And I know being with other Christian educators, they too struggle with, well, what exactly is a small group? So we're coming to you today for some answers. Uh, Jackie, help us with this conundrum when we fill out these reports. What exactly is a small group? Small groups and the most simplistic level are gatherings of persons wanting to move and grow in their faith journey. Okay. Some churches, it's Sunday school classes. Some churches, it's book studies for weeks of four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, particular time periods throughout the Christian year. And then there are other times when the groups are missional, um, but these gatherings at the core uh, are really about building and living through their discipleship culture. Are we making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world? And how do we connect in smaller groups beyond our traditional Sunday service or Wednesday service or other gatherings, but times where we are accountable to one another about our faith journey. All right, very good. I know one of the things you've talked about, you had this really great alliteration. Uh, say, say more, I won't spoil it. You go ahead and say more about that. Well, in one of my congregations, when we began to look at the process of expanding or growing our discipleship process, we realized that People came on to Sunday school and they came to Wednesday night Bible okay. study. But there were a lot of people who could not connect. And so we began to look at what are in the midst of all of these groups. So we looked at, are they spiritual? Mm. Are they social? 
or are they service? And so some people might connect to the church. For instance, they may be doing a, a Habitat for Humanity project, or they may be serving the homeless, and they know that these time periods, that they're going to gather with a group of people who have a common interest of serving God. And so in those cases, they're doing ministry, and they're connecting, and they're growing, and they're praying, and they're practicing spiritual disciplines. But that core piece of saying, are you growing okay. into sanctification? Yeah. Are you really spending time in the Word of God together? Are you praying for one another? And they say, yeah, we're getting to those things, but are you doing it in a way where you're really seeking to grow in your faith journey? And so we realize that some people may start or connect with the church in a mission group, but at that point to say, are you growing in your spiritual practices? Do you know about your spiritual gifts? Have you struggled in these areas and you need someone else in a common way to help you continue on that faith journey? And so we looked at those three areas and said, when we're developing groups, how are we helping new Christians, Christians who've been on the journey for a while, families, individuals, however they come, are we helping them grow spiritually, socially, and serving in a missional way. And so when we began to look at those, then someone would say, my United Methodist Women's Group does that. Yes, <laughs> that's still a small group gathering that's different than your everyday meeting, but you may be gathering for this particular time, six to eight weeks, and that is a small group. Well, we are looking at something doing Advent and we want to do something at the coffee shop. That may be a seasonal small right, group. True but it meets the criteria, it has a beginning and an end, and people can connect and grow, but continue to be faithful in their spiritual journey. Yeah, very good, that's, that's helpful, those, those three, the service, social, and, and spiritual. spiritual. Yeah, I like that, that's very good. And you also talked about, you know, it sounded to me like you were talking about being very intentional about these groups have to be growing. After growing they're, towards Christ. They're, 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 they're seeking to grow. For instance, in that particular congregation, our summer was different than a context of other churches okay. where I served. Where their summer was VBS kicked off a time of growing spiritually. That was the commitment. That was the covenant. That's how the church really launched into the community in lots of ways. So we launched specialized groups that once VBS kicked off the follow-up was eight weeks you could do a book study with someone you could serve in the community you could do backpacks but you had time frames and those were signature groups they some met at the church some met at the coffee shop some met at people's houses and we trained for those time periods we did not do that massive launch of any other time of the year with small groups but many of those groups would repeat two and three times a year and so there were specific things that said... So the, the groups themselves or the people in the groups? Both. Both, okay. For instance, I did a book study and I would teach it in the summer, but then I would teach it in, in a winter uh, eight-week period before Lent. 
Okay. So we might launch leadership groups in uh, in the beginning of the year, and one of the book studies may be part of this series. So if you were a ministry leader, you had an opportunity to be involved in a specific small group, and we recruited leaders, and they were taught multiple times during the week. But we were also very intentional with our culture. A lot of our ministry meetings took place on Monday. So we did not teach small groups or meet as small groups oh, okay. on those that days. So if you were in a small group, basically, here was the time it was offered, here was where it was located, and then we would launch them, and so it would have a time frame and a time period that it would, and then it might repeat in that group depending on its need. It might have started out as a group that was really focused on service, but then it grew. Gotcha. Very helpful. Well, we appreciate your time. Like I said, it's going to be a quick interview. Yeah. Um, but we appreciate your help in helping determine what exactly a small group is. So thanks, Jackie. Thank you. Well, I hope that was helpful from, from Jackie and what she had to, to say to us about some of the core elements that are needed for a small group. I, I think, Steve, we each have something we want to, to add to that. I, I think the thing that I would add to what a group needs is time. A group needs a shared history together in order to to build trust, in order to build the relational dynamics that are needed for a healthy small group. I, I know the the small group I'm a part of, the church I attend, the the way small groups are done there, it it's an every other e- every other week experience. And I'm not sure that that's the best model. I know for me it took me a, a long time to sort of open up to that group in terms of feeling safe there and for others to feel safe. It felt kind of awkward if you you missed a week or so you kind of had to remember now, now who are you and what's your name because it's also sort of a, a large size group so i think shared history and time together i would say and i think you would affirm this too on a weekly basis is needed yeah i agree that ideally small groups particularly if the, if the goal is formation right um, and relationship building um, no matter what kind of group it is, you know, in terms of small groups, um, weekly meetings are ideal. Um, and, and I say that because being the director of Wesleyan Resources, and we're, we can learn a lot about small group ministry from what the Wesleys and the early Methodists did. That's what we're here for on this podcast, and, anyway. Yeah, And we know from the history of our tradition that the movement was built, the heart of the movement was small groups known as classes or class meetings, and they met every week, usually Thursday night for an hour to two hours, depending on what was going on that week. Um, And then there were the band meetings, which were smaller, more intimate groups. They also met every week. Um, So Mr. If Mr. West and, and they that worked really well for the Methodists, um, and I think it would be a goal for us to to uh, um, aspire towards. Yeah, and I can hear the objections going off now. But wait a second, Steve. We are so much busier today. Life is faster paced, um, but you know some things about history. So right, let's so. <laughs> let's just think about that, Scott. Think about life in the 18th century. You know, today we have microwave ovens, dishwashers, all kinds of conveniences and great, yes. Creature comforts that I enjoy. We are busy people. We live busy lives. But if you look at 
the history, the people who, of 18th century England and America were just as busy, and I would say probably even busier yeah. for us because they didn't have all the conveniences that we have. You know, in terms of meal preparation, cleaning, taking care of a house, children, um, and work, it was a lot harder for oh, the yeah. Methodists to get together once a week than it is for us. And yet they did it. Yep. And they did it out of their commitment to Christ mm. and to one another. It was that important to them that they made time to make sure that they made their class meeting. Yeah, so that I think that shared history is really important, especially today. But you had another consideration as well for a dynamic that healthy small groups need. Yeah, and that involves the mission of the church. Yeah, yeah, say more about this. Small groups need to, certainly they, they know, and a lot of people join small groups because they expect some kind of benefit from it, and and that's that's a good thing. And yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a good motivation to be, to want to grow deeper in your right. relationship with God, be more intentional about discipleship or learning about what it means to be a Christian, how to live the Christian life. Um, and to form, make new friends. That's all good stuff. But we all, small groups also ought need to know that it's not all about them. <laughs> that it's also about the mission it's all about the mission of God and the mission of the church which the two should align with each other and so it's helpful and i think healthy for small group members of small groups and the small group as a whole to understand that yes they're there to bless and benefit one another but also they have a larger purpose, which is to help the congregation be faithful to its mission of equipping the members mm. to join Christ in his mission in the world. That's another way of saying making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Yeah, I think that's really important because I know I've talked with pastors, sort of two similar experiences, but slightly different. One is the, the fear that if I create these small groups, especially if they're in home, they're not Sunday schools in a church, I can't monitor them, and I'm afraid they're going to rebel against me or against my leadership. There's that fear, and there's other pastors I've talked to who've come into a church that has small groups, but there's this disconnect between the mission of the church and what's happening in the small groups, mm -hmm. and and they have so little control, and they're, they're very afraid. And sometimes I think the reaction is, maybe we don't need to have small groups. Instead of, as you said, sort of align those to the alignment of the mission of the church. I think that's I think that's extremely helpful. Let's let's move into the question of how many people should be in a group. And you've sort of raised that already. I know one of the models that I've read has talked about having 18 folks in the small groups with the theory that, well, we know not all 18 are going to show up, therefore you're going to have 12 to 14, which ends up being an ideal sort of number. Um, now you've raised some pushback on that, and I'll, I'll kind of lob that up to you and, and let you react. Well, I, you know, personally, I think 18 is a bit much, um, because, simply because it's, I think, I can imagine it would, I've never, frankly, I've never been in a group that big. <laughs> I have, so I can share some experiences. Go um, ahead. And for myself as an introvert, 
it would be difficult for me to function in a group that big. Mm. Um, simply because in a group that big, it's difficult to get to know everybody. Yep, very much so. Um, that's why, you know, particularly covenant discipleship groups, seven people, no more. Between five and uh, the ideal number of a covenant discipleship group is five to seven for healthy group dynamics. And also for the in the interest of time, because sure, you know, one of the one part of the part of the deal if you're in a covenant discipleship group is the meeting, the time commitment you ask of people is one hour a week for the meeting. And so, if you limit the size, that's one reason for the limit on the size is you can complete the agenda for the week in one hour. But it also facilitates relationship building. Um, I've heard another, someone else that I've found to be helpful in terms of small group ministry is Mike Breen in uh, 3DM. Right, okay. And I'm trying to remember, I I may get this wrong, but I I remember he talked about family, you know, what we need are family size, you know, a family, which would be like five to seven, maybe 12, up to 12. Interesting. um, To be like a family together. And then you need... Um, like a core group of friends, which would be parallel to the band meeting, okay. which would be um, anywhere from three to six people that you would form a, a tighter relationship with. Um, so, so that's another way to think about it. But the, the, the biggest, pe- you know, one of the most important purposes of small groups is building relationships. That's right. It's in those relationships that we are formed, that we are most open to grace to um, form us as disciples of Jesus Christ, um, to, to be accountable with each other for how we're living the Christian life in the world and to support one another and pray for one another, that if a group gets too big, you know, I would say certainly bigger than 12. Yeah. You know, Jesus, I think, you know, we need to look to Jesus here. <laughs> it's always a good, good way to go. He had his group of 12, yeah. but then he had his inner circle of three. And so that's, I think, something helpful for us when we're looking at the best way of forming small groups. Yeah, I agree. And there's one other added element there, I think, is when you get a group larger than 12, because you're always going to have those extroverts who, who work things out uh, by speaking and have a tendency to maybe perhaps dominate a conversation. Yeah. And if you've got a group larger than 12 and two or three extroverts, well, three people have spoken the, <laughs> the entire time. Um, I say that from some experience there. And, and so for the introverts in the crowd especially, I do think it's really wise to keep the numbers smaller rather than, than larger because yeah. that really can facilitate some healthy group dynamics. There's one other um, element we're going to touch on, and that, that's this distinction that I first encountered by Chris Surratt. He makes the distinction between a ministry team and a small group, that there are things that happen in a small group that may not need to happen in a ministry team. I've heard other people talk about it in terms of a, of a task team. I mean, as we talked about this beforehand, Steve, you, you raised, um, I, I think, some helpful pushback to that. I think on the surface, it, that can be helpful to think of, well, these folks are doing formation, these are small groups. These groups are doing tasks. They're doing some hospitality. They're serving at the church. They're doing some functions. Um, or perhaps maybe they're a, 
a church committee of some kind, but they don't really count as a small group. And you presented to me some helpful pushback, so I'll kind of, once again, lob this up to you. Well, thank you, Scott. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's... Being short, I, that was always my part in volleyball, was just <laughs> bumping it up. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we need to make that, dis- particularly if, if, if everything, if we really want to be a missional congregation, then everything we do should move the congregation towards in the, you know, in the trajectory of the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And I think that includes what we're calling here ministry teams, which right. would include things like a church council, um, the staff parish relations committee, the finance committee, the All trustees, those fun committees. the choir, yeah. Um, the mission committee, worship committee, all these that every church needs. Absolutely. Good thing, good thing. But why can't they also be places of accountability and support for discipleship? And the formation. Yeah. So in, in, if you're in a ministry team, then you have the primary task is to do the work, right, that this team is given, either out of the book of discipline or for the needs of the local congregation. You, you're there to do a job and make sure that job gets done. But you're also there as Christians, yep. as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and so you can set aside some time in the meeting maybe to pair off with accountability partners to share with each other how you're, how you're doing, how is it with your soul? You know, how, how are you, you know, we, to talk about how you're practicing the means of grace or, you know, if you're, that's, this is one reason why I encourage congregations that really want to do small groups well to adopt a congregational rule of life. And the purpose of a rule of life is to give practical guidance for how to live the baptismal covenant in the world. And we have a really good rule of life in the general rules. Yep. Um, and what I recommend is the adaptation of the general rules and the general rule of discipleship. So you could spend some time, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes in a meeting, pairing off to give an, to sh- you know, take turns sharing with one another is how are you witnessing to Jesus Christ in the world and following his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Or you could, you know, you could, there's many ways you could do that. But that, I think it'd be helpful for the work that they're there to do, to be grounded in Christ and in their mutual relationship with him. And you can do that. And so you, you can both do the work and also be, um, watch over one another in love. So they're not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, they don't I have to be. I think that's helpful. I mean, I think... We've probably all been in those committee meetings where we have the perfunctory prayer before, after, and sort of just nothing but business in the middle. Right. I know one of the models you have shown me is um, that little book that called Dwelling in the Word. Why don't mm-hmm. you say real briefly about that? Well, that's something I learned from um, a writer that I recommend to all particularly pastors and church leaders, is Alan Roxburgh. And in his, he's a consultant who helps congregations and judicatories develop a missional culture and uh, missional congregations. And in 
most of his books, he, he, he gives real practical advice as to how to become missional. And in all of them, he recommends that particularly church councils and what we're calling here ministry teams adopt the practice in their, when, they, when they meet to begin their meetings with at least 20 minutes, maybe half an hour of what he calls dwelling in the word. And there's a wonderful little handbook that you can use yeah, that teaches it to you. It's a small book and it's very helpful. And dwelling in the word is simply a, it's a, it's a version of Lectio Divina. Okay. And Roxburgh recommends that you start with Luke 10, I think it's 1 through 12. It's the story of Jesus sending out the disciples in pairs and his instructions as to what their mission is, what they are to do, and then them coming back to, to him and sharing their experience. And the process is simply to pair up with someone you don't know well and share with each other what captured what word or phrase captured your imagination and then after five minutes or so have like if you and I were doing okay. it Scott you Scott would tell the group what I shared and uh. I would do that with you for I, I would share what you shared to, with me and so you, you do that sharing and then the, the second piece then you read the text again And then as a group, you spend some time reflecting on what is God up to mm. in this text for us today? And it's called dwelling in the word because you stay with that text for a See. year. Yeah. So if a church council meet, they tend to meet once a month, sometimes once every other month. Sure. Um, they would begin their meetings with that same text, Luke 10, 1 to 12, for a year. And every time they come to it, they would ex probably hear something different. Something new would jump out at them. But what that does is it grounds the work of that team or committee in Scripture and in the mission of God. And they spend some time reflecting on what that means. And it, allow it allows the Spirit to work in and through the members of that committee. Yeah, I think that's a great model for us being really intentional about dwelling in the Word, right. about allowing the Holy Spirit to do something in us that may be more, I don't want to say emotional, but perhaps that's the right word for it, more formative emotionally, spiritually, than simply intellectually, which typically typically is our only model for formation. So that's, I think that's, that's very helpful. So I'm going to wrap us up. Um, I, I do want to invite our audience to, to interact with us on Facebook, on Twitter, or email, of course, you can find us on the web at umcdiscipleship.org. I hope you'll interact with Steve and I um, through Twitter and on email. Um, I'm on, I run the Twitter account, UMC Adult Forum. Steve, where are you on Twitter? I'm at, at S. Manskar. So that's at S-M-A-N-S-K-A-R. I hope you'll interact with us. Tell us why we're wrong. Tell us what you didn't like. Tell us, you know, I mean... Be honest with us. You know, we, you don't have to always give us uh, glowing reviews. You can tell us w maybe where you're still having struggles and what what issues you would like for us to to address. And as we've said before, we've got uh, some some ways to reward those who interact with us. So we've got some some new stuff coming out. Steve, I'll, I'll let you give we've you a quick a, second. We've uh, got some new books coming out. Yeah. Well, actually, they're out. They're out. Um, we've got new covenant discipleship resources that 
Just this week, we learned all of them are out. My, as my book, Disciples Making Disciples, which a guide for covenant discipleship groups and class leaders. And um, Chris Wilterdink's book, uh, Everyday Disciples, Covenant Discipleship with Youth. And Mel- a, bo- a book called Growing Everyday Disciples, okay. Covenant Discipleship with Children by Melon, our colleague Melanie C. Gordon with uh, Susan Grosskloth and Gail Quay. I'm really excited and proud of these books, um, and I'm very pleased that they're finally available. <laughs> they, they're available in print, and there will be in EPUB and Kindle editions as well. Yeah, so definitely check And we will, we're going to give some of those away. Awesome. So. so interact with us. Get them for free the best way. <laughs> best way. Well, I'm going to wrap us up with, with this prayer that comes from the book of worship, number 505. O oh God, the giver of life, we pray for the church throughout the world. Sanctify its life, renew its worship, empower its witness, restore its unity. Strengthen the work of all those who strive to seek that common obedience that will bind us together. Heal the divisions which separate your children one from another, that they may keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. Amen. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.